and this week really uh, feed on each other as we're looking at, uh, at this issue. Uh, a couple of key verses from last week were Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. And just a real quick summary of those, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Two truths out of that verse. First, salvation is by faith, not works. Second, we are saved to do good works. Very important balance there. The, The purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether I've done enough good works versus bad works in order to be saved. Uh, If I'm at the judgment seat of Christ, my salvation has already been determined by my faith in Christ. So what is the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ? Well, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation, that's the foundation of our faith in Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest. Become manifest means it will be uh, displayed, it will be revealed for what it really is. For the day, that's the day of the judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Basic observations here about the judgment seat of Christ. These are going to come out of another passage, 2 Corinthians 5.10. All Christians will be judged, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says, we, that's believers, must all appear. No believer is exempt from this judgment. Our judge will be Christ. We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God has given to Christ the authority to execute the judgment. The Son is the one who will act as the judge. That makes sense because the Son is the one who has redeemed us. So he gets to be the one who judges us. And then third observation, we will receive rewards or experience loss. Uh, Again, we go back to 1 Corinthians 3.12. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So if your work has been good, it will survive the fire. In fact, it will be refined by the fire. And it will come out as gold and silver and precious stones. But if your work has been bad, it will be uh, burnt up like wood, hay, and straw put wood, hay, and straw through a fire, uh, you just suffer loss. So we will either receive a reward or we will suffer loss. And that reward or that loss is determined according to our deeds. You know, good deeds earn rewards, bad deeds get burned up. Now, as you read through these passages, one of the questions that comes to mind is, is, okay, then how do I produce gold, silver, and precious stones? And how do I avoid wood, hay, and straw? So I just want to march you through some passages today 
where Jesus specifically talks about rewards. Now, I have a couple of reasons why I want to take you through these passages. And the first one is, is that I really want you to see how much Jesus wants you to receive rewards. One of the comments that I often hear from Christians is, oh, I don't need any rewards. It'll just be enough for me to be in heaven. And we adopt a sort of false humility as though working to earn heavenly rewards is a matter of pride. But as you look at these passages, that idea isn't even on Jesus' radar. Christ wants you to excel at the Christian life. Christ wants you to store up treasure and rewards in heaven. Christ wants desperately to be able to reward you for your good works. So let's look at Jesus' teaching on rewards. First in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Read the next line with me. Because great is your reward in heaven. You know, many of these Beatitudes refer to how we respond to suffering and persecution and to difficult seasons in life. But every beatitude has a reward attached to it. And Christ concludes by saying, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven if you do these things. Matthew 5, 43, says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? You know, Christ is teaching on the importance of loving your enemies, and the motivation that he gives is, is if you just love people who love you back, there's no reward in that. But if you love your enemies, you will get a reward for that. Matthew 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand, left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Uh, again, the motivation for giving, and he goes on in this, uh, this passage and talks about praying and fasting in private. The motivation is to be rewarded by God. And Christ says, don't do these acts of righteousness in a showy way to get the recognition from people, because that will be all the reward you get. But if you do it privately and appropriately, then God will reward you. He says, your Father who sees what is done in secret. The whole idea of the judgment seat of Christ is, is all the stuff that's been done in secret in your life is made manifest. It is revealed. The stuff you do in private impacts your reward and your loss. God sees 
what is done in secret. And he'll either reward it or he'll burn up. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ warns us that earthly treasures are not valuable. They are vulnerable. And he says, uh, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, who is the treasure that I store up in heaven for? Yeah, Jesus says, it's for me. Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Read the last phrase with me. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Christ, because Christ is coming. And he will reward each person according to what he's done. Now, Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I will tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Christ illustrates the practice of humility by using a little child. But the motivation for humility is to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Christ had the perfect opportunity. If rewards don't matter, he had the perfect opportunity to say to his disciples, oh, quit asking that question. doesn't matter who's the greatest. Everybody's even. He didn't say that. He said, this is how you can be the greatest in heaven. Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Christ promises that anybody who sacrifices home and family and, and, and resources for the cause of Christ, that he's going to pay them back a hundredfold. You know, I read this verse, and I, I always think of my missionary friends who, who moved all the way around the world from their family. And I think of what they've given up and what their families here have given up, and, and I just rejoice for them that they can rest in the fact that they're going to receive a hundredfold reward for that sacrifice. Matthew 20, 26. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, some of these verses become so familiar to us that they lose their shock value. They lose their surprise. And this is one of those verses. It's just too familiar to us. But I tell you, as the disciples stood there, immersed in a culture that was driven by a person's class and station in life, immersed in a culture that was driven by the vast chasm that separated master and slave, rich and poor, the haves and the have-nots, that when Christ encourages his disciples to humbly serve other people by telling them that the path to greatness comes through serving, I mean, no teaching could have been more foreign to these guys. 
I mean, this statement would have been earth-shattering to them. It turned their world upside down. You want to be great? Then be the servant of all. Don't let your familiarity with that verse rob you of its wonder. Don't let your familiarity with it rob you of the reward that comes from serving other people. Another familiar passage, parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Uh, in this parable, uh, Christ tells the story. Master over a household is going on a long journey. Calls in three of his servants, and he gives them talents. Uh, he gives them bundles of resources. And he gives five talents to one guy, two talents to another, and one talent to another guy. And he says, take this, these bundles of resources and do stuff with them while I'm gone. And then when he comes back, he settles accounts. Calls the first guy in. The guy had five. Now he's got ten. He's doubled it. Guy with two. Now he's got four. He's doubled it. Guy with one. All he did was bury it in the yard. Now the two who doubled their resources, he says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The master is thrilled that he gets to reward these guys for their performance. And they get to share in his joy. Then he turns to the guy who didn't produce any rewards. And he calls him unfaithful, wicked, and lazy. And he takes what he has and gives it to the guy who uh, produced him. Uh, the guy who did good was rewarded. The guy who did bad suffered loss. Now, I picked a version this time for this passage that says, Well done, good and faithful slave. Modern translations, we typically translate this as servant rather than slave because the word slave is too harsh for us. It's too abrupt. It's too strong. It's repugnant to us. But I picked that verse to rattle you out of your familiarity. Because the Greek word here isn't the word uh, diakonos for servant, it's the word doulos for slave. This isn't the idea of a ser server or waiter or waitress or employee who does something good for the master and then goes home to their own life. This is a picture of someone who is owned by the master. The master's life is their life. And the master holds them strictly accountable for what they do. The master has the authority to reward or to punish. Okay. Matthew 25, 31. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Christ reveals that those who provide for the hungry and thirsty, those who host strangers, those who clothe the naked, those who visit the imprisoned, those acts of service result in hearing these words of the judgment. Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now Luke 6, 37. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, in this passage, Christ instructs his disciples, don't be judgmental, don't be critical of other people, forgive other people, give generously. And, and he motivates their obedience in, in this by assuring them that they will receive forgiveness, they will receive grace, they will be given gifts as a result of this. Uh, Luke eight sixteen, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. You know, that's, that's at the judgment seat of Christ. What, what has been done in the dark, what has been done in the secret, is going to be exposed and will be revealed. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Okay, there again, there's the picture of receiving rewards for suffering loss. Luke 12, uh, the importance of faithfulness. Uh, now, this, this passage here, this is not a judgment seat of Christ passage. This is just a, a judgment in general. Uh, Christ is just teaching about this is what happens when judgment occurs. Okay? Says, the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. The servant who is found faithfully fulfilling the task that the master has given him is going to be rewarded by being put in charge of more. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Okay? This is an example of, of how fruit demonstrates faith. The fact that this servant didn't faithfully do what the master had told him to do, he didn't do the right thing, that is evidence that he's not even with the program. He's not even a believer. And so when the judge looks at his life, he says, you're out. He goes on, he says, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Okay? And here we've got the contrast between someone who knows the truth of God, someone who knows right and wrong, and chooses to do the wrong thing out of disobedience. And then we've got the person who doesn't know the truth of God, doesn't know the difference between right and wrong, and does wrong out of ignorance. There's a difference. The one who rejects God's word receives a harsher punishment than the one who is ignorant of God's word. And just as there are levels of rewards for believers going into heaven, there are also levels of punishment for believers going into hell, unbelievers going into hell. Because God is just. 
Now, the harsh reality is that every person here in this room has had the opportunity to hear and to know what God expects of us. Every person here has heard of Jesus Christ. Every person here has had access to the Bible. Now, you may not have read it, and you may not have done what it says, but God's expectation of us for our obedience is very high. Luke 12, 42, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Folks, we have been given a tremendous opportunity to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We have been given probably the greatest opportunity of any generation that has ever lived on the face of earth. This generation right here in America, we have had a tremendous opportunity to build on the foundation of our faith, to build up great, huge, heaping piles of gold, silver, and precious stones. We have the opportunity to earn for ourselves great rewards in heaven. The only question is, have we done it? Or have we been too distracted by the wood, hay, and straw that the world tries to foist upon us? Now, these aren't all the passages where Jesus teaches on rewards. In fact, if you see this teaching, you'll see it all over the place in the Gospels. And uh, you know, you've just got a few verses here out of Matthew and Luke. But Mark and John have a bunch of them. There are passages throughout the rest of the New Testament. Paul and Peter and the other apostles have a lot to say about rewards. But this is a huge biblical truth that many of us have overlooked. And I think one of the reasons why we overlook it is because of the things that Christ says we will be rewarded for. Poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, showing mercy, pure in heart, peacemaking, persecuted because of righteousness, loving your enemies, giving, praying, and fasting in private, storing up treasure in heaven, denying yourself and taking up your cross, childlike humility, sacrificing your home and family, serving others, being a good steward of my time and talent and treasure, providing for the hungry and thirsty, forgiving those who hurt me, giving sacrificially, being salt and light in a decaying and dark world, being faithful all the way to the end. Those are not things that come naturally to us. You know, that, those are not the first direction that we head. Those aren't things that make us happy. Wood, hay, and straw makes us happy. Gold, silver, and precious stones make us holy. Now, happiness now is its own reward. Holiness reaps rewards for eternity. Now, the first reason I wanted to take you through these passages was just to convince you that Jesus wants you to live your life in a way that you will earn rewards. I mean, here's a string of about 13 passages that clearly teach that. This is important to Jesus. But I also wanted to take you through these passages to begin to give you some insight into the kind of things that Christ promises to reward. The behaviors and activities that we are, are most likely to pursue, the things that we are drawn to naturally, are not the things we're going to be rewarded for. They're the things that are going to burn up. And if we're going to reap a great reward of gold, silver, and precious stones, we have to live differently than we might think. We have to live differently from the world around us. We have to live differently 
than most believers. Because the sad truth is, most believers are going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to be saved as though by fire. That's just a harsh reality. Now, the next question is, if the way of living that earns me rewards is so foreign to me, then how do I do this? How do I do it? Well, the secret of this is found in Jesus' words in John 15. And now, this isn't the only place where the Bible talks about this, about how to do this. And again, once you see it, you'll start seeing it all over the place. But the classic example is John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. That's earning rewards. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the secret to bearing fruit, to doing good works, to building up gold, silver, and precious stones. If I remain in Christ, abide in Christ, live in Christ, and if I let Christ remain and abide and live in me, I will reap a great reward. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. You know, if I choose not to remain in Christ, then my life will not bear fruit. It will not garner me a reward. My life will be full of wood, hay, and straw. I'll be like a dead, fruitless branch that's burned up. I'll be saved by fire. So how do I remain, abide, and live in Christ? Go to this next picture. If you remain in me and, read the next one, my words remain in you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Folks, that's the motivation for us doing the 40 Days in the Word campaign. That's why we want you to get plugged into this spiritual growth campaign. Because we want you to remain in God's Word, and we want God's Word to remain in you. I mean, it is essential to the Father's glory. It is essential for you bearing much fruit and showing yourself to be disciples. I mean, how do I do this stuff? How do I live a life that matters? How do I know what to do? Where do I get the power to do it? It comes from here. It comes from here. That's why we want so desperately for you to get plugged into a small group in the 40 Days in the Word campaign. Because if you will love God's Word, if you will learn God's Word, if you will live God's Word, you will store up for yourself treasure in heaven. You will receive a great reward. Let's pray together. If you're here today and you've you've never... uh, received Christ as your Savior, if you've never opened up your life to Him, I just would invite you to do that right now. To just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to be born again, uh, to become a new creation. God, I need your forgiveness. I need that new life. And maybe you're here today as a believer, and and you realize that, that you have been pursuing wood, hay, and straw that you have been doing things in secret that that you don't want disclosed. You've been doing things in the dark that you don't want revealed. 
You've been making decisions that, that seem natural to you, but they are contrary to the things that Jesus Christ says will earn us a reward. I invite you today just say, Jesus, come into my life. Help me to live my life in such a way, not pursuing my own happiness, but pursuing the holiness that you have called me to. God, help me to remain and abide and live in you. And I ask you to remain and abide and live in me. Make me a person of your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name.